0: Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. We are going to dive in today, uh, and I need your A-game because we're going to jump around a little bit. I'm going to read a lot of scripture. We're going to dive into what I think is Paul's view of what it means to have a mind that is transforming. And I want to begin with a caveat that just says, by no means do I think we can transform ourselves by direct effort. Right? We have enough self-help books in the world. That's not what scripture is. Scripture is designed to orient us towards reality and give us a way of living into the kingdom of God to know his goodness, to know his way of life. That is a part of the renewal of our mind, but it's not the whole thing. We cannot do it by our direct effort. We can do some things by our direct effort and the Spirit will not transform us to the depths of our soul if we refuse to participate because He has given us a will. He has given us a part of our being that orients us and directs us to make decisions and it's so difficult to change that. If anyone's tried to go on a diet for a long time and failed, you know how hard it is to say, will do what I want you to do. Every January, we have billions of people throughout the world, or maybe millions of people throughout the world, hundreds of millions, let's just go in the middle, that understand how weak our will are. And I want to get into some of that, but not all of it. But today, as we're exploring this, I want to even now begin to relieve some of the anxiety and tension that I know will arise in many of us, as we even say the words, the renewing of the mind. That there is no way in one sermon I could possibly address the range of issues that come up when we talk about the renewal of the mind. Mental health issues, chronic anxiety, depression, addiction, countless other illnesses or restrictions or pains, the trauma that are real and wreak havoc on all of us in different ways. And I want you to hear me from the outset that I am both personally aware and probably even more read than most, at least I'll take a guess, especially for somebody who's not a mental health professional, regarding the complexities and challenges and pains of that area. But please don't hear me wrong if you are experiencing any of those things. I am not and will not suggest that it is your fault and that you can just think your way out of it. So let me just relieve that tension if that is where you're feeling right now, if this has been something you've experienced for a long time. That's not my point this morning. But as I said, the enemy will get us stuck into thinking that we have no choice, that we have no power, that we have no way of moving forward in the way of our renewal of our own minds. We don't do all of it, but we must participate. And we may not have much power, we may not have much capacity right now, but whatever little bit of power we have, we act out of that place in obedience, and the Spirit can do some wonderful things. And it's like a snowball effect, you just take one step right? That's how faith, you grow, you don't grow in faith by wishing you had more faith. You can pray for faith, absolutely. You don't grow in faith by wishing you had more faith. You grow in faith by acting in the faith that you have, right? The image I always have of faith is just think of like a pond that's frozen over. You could say, yeah, yeah, that'll hold me and stand on the shoreline. Faith is, yeah, that's going to hold me. So not all of us have all the power. Not all of us, some of us We're so conformed to the image of the world that we have very little capacity, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But we all have some contribution to make, and the Spirit is calling our hearts to say, come, rest with me, and let me show you the way of the easy yoke, the easy mind. Is that okay? You with me in that? Okay, awesome. Now, I think this conversation is one of the most important conversations necessary for today because in a culture that is defined by loud and divisive and radical ideologies and voices that are louder than you could possibly imagine, even sometimes Christian language wrapped in ideology and the story of so many broken families and relational wounds, we need to be men and women who can see truth and have minds that are renewed to see truth in the kingdom of God. This conversation is essential. This might be the most difficult era in any previous era of history. Now, I say that, but I don't want to begin there, because as we said this morning in our pre-service prayer, how many of you have had sermons or podcasts or conversations or TED Talks that begin with someone coming out and they say, the world sucks and gives you 15 statistics that want your, make your mind explode? right? We begin with this place of how broken the world is instead of starting where Paul and the disciples start with the vision of God's goodness. Not to be ignorant of the world, not to be blind to it or naive to it. We'll talk about that at the end as well. We don't want to be naive. We want to be students. We want to be alert. We want to be, as Paul says in Thessalonians, we know in our bodies and our minds that it is almost daybreak and the world is convinced that it's still nighttime. That's how we're called to live. That's how we're called to live, so I don't wanna be naive, but I don't wanna dwell and begin in this place where we think the world is just going to hell because, friends, Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. One of my favorite stories is from this missiologist, this guy, Leslie Newbegin, who's an amazing missionary to India, probably one of the most thoughtful minds of the 20th century with, with regards to church and mission. And one time, a reporter uh, from the BBC was asking him, would, you know, Leslie, his name's Leslie newbegin Leslie, would you consider yourself an optimist or a pessimist? And without even missing a beat, he says, I don't consider myself an optimist or a pessimist. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. That is a renewed mind. The world gives you two choices, and you go... I have a risen Lord. The world says, Oh, it's either cut them off or just engage in their brokenness. And the world says there's a third way. Yeah. I'm getting ahead of myself. I want to begin in these three spaces by reading the words of Scripture to us. So I'm not going to put these ones up on the on the screen because I want you to hear the words spoken. I want you to hear and reflect. If you need to close your eyes, often we hear sermons and all we're writing down is, oh, that's a great quote. I'm gonna use that in an argument. <laughs> and I wanna challenge you as you listen to hear for yourself. Hear the words spoken and even whatever, whatever one or two things that might be good in what I'm saying today, I want you to hear that for yourself and let the spirit highlight those things for you. So as you as you hear this close your eyes you can open up you can take a deep breath I believe we need to begin in stillness and quiet because the world is noisy and violent and loud and we need people who can hear through the mess the voice of the Lord How blessed is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked nor stand in the path of sinners nor sit in the seat of those who are scoffers, but their delight is on the law of the Lord. And in God's law, he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And whatever he does, he prospers. Just sit. Hmm. Hmm. The next text. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow in all aspects into Him who is the Head, even Christ from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of their individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So this I say, and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as those of the world walk in the futility of their mind being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of their heart. And they have become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greedness. But you do not learn Christ in this way if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just your former manner, sorry, just as truth is in Jesus. That is in reference to the former manner of life you laid aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and here that you may be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God and has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. Hmm. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So set your minds on the things above, not on the things of the earth. For you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory, set your mind on things above. Jesus, come. Hmm. Whatever anxiety, whatever concern, whatever worry, whatever fear we have carried in here, Lord, we. Refuse to carry it any longer. And we set our minds upon you that we might be renewed wholeheartedly. Mind, heart, body, soul, spirit. God, would you come and do a great work in us? And even now, I just I had this sense that this space of quiet is too heavy for some. You're so used to filling your mind and your heart and your ears with so much noise because you avoid this space because of what might come up if you sit quiet and long enough. And the Holy Spirit just wants to meet you and say, I am the one who can carry this with you and let it not weigh you down anymore. But I want you to hear that from him. So I'm just going to give you one more minute as you consider the words read from Paul in the Psalms. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Man, I don't want that to be a somber thing. This is a delightful thing. Silence and solitude. I've had walks alone in the quiet on the beach where I have felt the Lord teasing me and joking with me. There's sometimes I'm just like, man, he is way too funny. That's a weird thing for us to hear, I think. So I don't want this space. The renewal of our minds is not a heavy burden, it is a delight, it is a joy, it is a freedom. It says, where once I reflected and dwelled when something happened, I thought of the worst case scenario, and now I get to walk in the freedom of not even thinking about myself. Or Stiles Willard says, Un- the goal is unself-consciousness. <laughs> you're not self-conscious, you're not unconscious, You just don't think about yourself. How are they gonna perceive me? Am I gonna be loved, hated? Are they gonna think I'm weird? Probably, if you're me. But man, what freedom to stand without that running narrative. And I begin in that place of quiet because I think we need to know, and if you hear one thing, from me, not from scripture today. I want you to hear this. What you put before your mind is what happens to you in renewal. What you put before your mind over and over and over again is the thing that comes out of you in renewal. And it may be renewal towards the likeness of Christ or it might be renewal towards something else. Does that make sense? So we have to learn to hear those words over and over. I got a figment or like a little picture of this. As soon as faith started singing, I love you, Lord. That's the name of it, right, Amanda? I love you, Lord. (laughs) To be fair, I didn't actually know the name of it either. As soon, as soon as we started hearing those words, I just felt this like opening. The voices got louder, even though it's a quiet song. Why does that happen? That song, for some people in this room, goes back a long time. I remember sitting in the pews of our church at six and seven and singing those words and hearing the awkward harmonies coming from places. And I'm like, that's not a harmony, or is, I don't know, I don't know what harmony is. That didn't sound right. There's something soaked in our bones when we put something in our minds over and over again, and it begins to settle deeper and deeper. And that song hit that place. Music has the uncanny capacity to do that because it mixes words and melodies and our own feeling of our breathing. You can all breathe in at the same time. We all exhale at the same time. We're singing the same words. Something happens in unity and actually begins with our mind, but over time it gets into our bodies. You can also work the other way where it can actually begin with your body, sometimes a habit restrains you in such a way that it actually shapes your thinking. But Paul is pretty clear that we almost have to always start with our minds. And we can get into a longer conversation about that. But the pattern of the world begins to dislodge when we find this space of quiet because it grows quieter and quieter as we listen to the leading of the spirit in those still spaces as we bring our minds to him over and over again and the lord becomes louder and the world becomes quieter. And i love that picture of Leslie Newbegin who doesn't even think about optimism or pessimism because his mind has been so transformed all he can see is the risen lord filling the world. So despair is not an option. Christ is risen from the dead. And optimism, that's futile. Why would i be optimistic? I know where history is going, under the lordship of the one who died for the world. Can we stand in that truth more than we stand in the talking points of CNN and Fox News and MSNBC or whatever news place you get your new truth, your new place to stand, your new foundation for life. Hmm. This is why Paul says this, what I was supposed to be teaching on today. Romans 12, and you can put this up. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Romans a little bit over the next 20 minutes. Wait, we got more time than that, right? I mean, Darren usually teaches for like 50 minutes, right? So I'm going to, we're going to go hour and a half, kids? No, I've been in the kids' ministry too long to know that's not kind. I'm not going to do that. You just getting the text. Hey, guys, when are you guys going to be done? It's like, oh, gosh, this is crazy. This is a very common text, and I love it. It's so profound. It's one of those texts where Paul, Paul is a master writer. I don't know if you realize this. I just barely scratch at how beautiful it is in English, but I hear in Greek, it is one of the most profound things written in ancient antiquity. The book of Romans is one of the most profound pieces of literature ever written, and it's written from a man whose heart is crying out for the mission of God. What a gift. Man, I wish we could all, I wish I could read Greek at a level where I actually made sense of that. But I think there's a good job enough here in some of these words. So Romans 12, Romans 12. this is one and two. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, This is your true and proper worship. So do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, or as one commentator writes, do not be squeezed into the shape dictated by the present age. I love that. Don't be squeezed into to the shape dictated by the age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Thanks be to God. This is the word of the Lord. The book of Roman crescendos after spending 11 chapters talking about how human took their freedom of their will, the freedom of their capacity to lead and steward creation, and they became enslaved through their own choices, to sin, to transgressions, and iniquity. And in the New Testament, those three ways of thinking, sin is a way of missing the mark. We've all heard that image of the archer. It's a way of stumbling away from our intended purpose. Transgression, the language in the New Testament for Paul, is when you do so knowingly in a way that I know this is wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. I know what the outcome will be, but I'm going to choose me over this hurt person. Or I'm going to choose this good feeling now, despite what it produces in me later. Mm -hmm. Right? Addiction. That's the heart of it. Addiction is a human thing. It's not an addict thing. All of us are addicted. It might be to the self. It might be to money. It might be to comfort. It might be to consumerism. It might be something all of us sacrifice that to some Degree, But he spends 11 chapters, and in all of that, it crescendos up how God has done what he always said he would do, which is to liberate his people from their enslavement. And because we were meant to steward and care for creation, that means in that redemption, the revealing of the sons and daughters of God, creation gets renewed as well. I mean, if you haven't read Romans 8 in a while, just sit in that book. Oh my gosh. What a gift. Paul is a, as much a poet there as anything. Creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoptions as sons and daughters, which is the redemption of our whole person. That's Paul's cry. That's right before this. And then we get this powerful, talking about the covenantal faithfulness of God. And then he says, in light of all of that, this is how you, excuse me, this is how you become the people of God who can be useful. And he begins with God's mercy. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of this mercy, in view, we were supposed to inherit the fruit of our labor, which was sin and wickedness and pain and broken relationships and broken minds and broken bodies and slavery of creation and slavery of people. And God says, because of the work I've done, you don't have to live in that anymore. That's what mercy means. Mercy means not getting what's deserved. That's the biblical image. Justice, this is just a very quick, Justice, getting what you deserve. Mercy, not getting what you deserve. Grace, getting what you do not deserve. Unmerited favor. Graciously bestowing something that you have not earned and could not earn, but you're given it anyway. So he says, we were deserving of a way of life that we should inherit, and God says, no, because my son has accomplished this, you can walk in freedom. You don't have to settle any longer for that broken relationship, that broken way of relating. He begins here because if we're going to talk about the process of renewal, it's always in view of God's mercy. Every time, if left to our own devices, we would receive and recoup the benefits of pain. Now, I get that in a world like our Western capital environment, right? this environment, if any place existed where we could go ignorant to the reality of our own decisions and choices, it's this world because we have enough goods, enough food, enough entertainment, and enough comfort to never realize that what we're walking into is death. And if that's you, I'm not really talking to you tonight, this morning, whatever time it is. If you're still not convinced, the way of life under your ordering, which Paul calls the flesh, anytime Paul uses the word flesh, he means our natural powers without God. He doesn't mean sinful appetites like it's often meant. He means whatever we can create under our own capacity, apart from him, that's what the flesh means. When Paul means the world, he means all that fleshiness, that just anything under our power, apart from God's way, He says the world is flesh put into history and social order. This is what humans make. And right now, if you believe the secular myth, it looks good. Our economy is going up, right? Maybe not. The world is peace. Well, we have a pandemic. War in Ukraine. People fighting about some of the most fundamental realities of the world. What does it mean to be a human? What does it mean to be a fill-in-the-blank? That's what we get apart from God's order. It's not punishment. It's him saying, here you go. If you want to order your life this way, you can, but it will not produce the goodness that you want. Some of us haven't met that in our own lives yet because for you, this way of being has produced a dream house, a perfect family, a perfect job. And I want to say, that's why I'm not talking to you because there will inevitably be a moment where suffering hits those questions you think are being answered will not answer the questions any longer. And then we can talk. But for the, the other 90% of us, this is who I'm talking to today, who we've seen, and it doesn't have to be addiction, it doesn't have to be a three divorces, it doesn't have to be a broken marriage or a broken family, but it might just be this persistent sense of dread, this persistent sense of exhaustion and weariness, and, and maybe not despair, but just What's the socially appropriate version of despair? Right, angst. I wish I knew French. I'm sure there's some great French words. Anyone know French, give me a word for it? Do you hear what I'm saying? In light of this, because of God's mercy, we don't inherit that life any longer but we offer our bodies as living sacrifices, and Paul means not body, not your physicality. For for Paul, the word soma, it means your whole person, this all-encompassing thing that you are. Offer that, not sacrificial animals, right? Not just some tithe, which is awesome. Not just this part of you, offer, everything that comes and calls you Brian, offer that to the world. Offer that as a sacrifice to the Lord. That's the first starting point, it's unbelievable to me. He draws all of this together. And this is different than the the sinful appetite that we talked about. Everything in your person is now what must be drawn together and offered to the Lord. Heart, soul, mind, strength. Your career, your family, your emotions, your hobbies, your finances, all of it now is his. We're no longer partial witnesses, spiritual in one sense and flesh in another sense. You are whole persons. So live as such. And this takes time but that's what he means by the body. So everything in you, and this is crucial because when we think about sin, sin always disintegrates the self. Sin is opposed to you as a unified person because it knows you're vulnerable when you're disintegrated. Let me give you an example. I might act kind to you in your presence, but I might harbor judgmental thoughts Anyone want to confess any of that right now? Anyone tempted to do that? That's so exciting. I'm so, I'm so happy for you. God, she always gets that freaking raise. She's such a jerk. Why does she do it? Oh, she's such a fill in the blank. I don't know why I said she. He is just as much. But I become divided because my will violates harmony with you, and I can't express that to you. So one thing exists here and one thing exists here and I split. And if I do that every minute of every day, how divided do I become? I feel like I'm giving the camera, the production team, running for their money today. Just like dancing over here. See what happens. The heart of sin is to divide and disintegrate our souls. And we begin with the renewal of the mind because it places the right thing at the center, at the top, and lets us be transformed from there. Love will always draw us together. And then this living sacrifice is actually directed by the reasoning of your mind. So Paul creates the context in this two sentences, a key command which sets all of his ways of living apart from any other ethic or philosophy that you can just have an insight and be transformed in a moment. He says, no, and Christians do this. It says, once we are in Christ, indwelled by the spirit, then the new life will just come naturally. Well, Paul doesn't mean that because time and time again, he says, you are a new creation, but you gotta kill the old self. It still lives in you. This is not a one-time thing. This is a moment by moment, day by day, The problem is, instead of having renewed minds, we tend to settle for worldly patterns with Christian content. And we don't transform by reading theological treatises, which some of you might love to do, and as a part of your formation, yes, more Lord. Though for some persons that is helpful, we do this by bringing our real everyday life before God and place our minds before him. We just have to look at the global church to see how this works, How many churches and movements have great theology, but none of the fruit of the Spirit? Right? So I'm not splitting you and saying, oh, if you just have the right thoughts, it's going to work out. That's not what I mean. That's not what the renewal of the mind is. It will not come naturally. The mind must be transformed so that you can think out for yourself, weigh up, and consider what God's will actually is, moment by moment, And unless your mind is fully involved, not only are you not growing up as a fully and integrated human, you are not engaging in the virtue and the fruit of the spirit or holiness at all. Paul wants Christians to have their minds renewed so that they can think differently in the world because it's not just about your well-being. It's about the possibilities that you create because of your renewed mind. It's about the possibilities you create because of your renewed mind. The seeds of abolitionism, the civil rights movement, ecology, care for our creation, these are Christian ideas born in the gifts and the seeds of the early church. We would not be in a world that even looked at a victim. If we were living 2,000 years ago, we'd be like, yeah, you're a victim, great. We have a world that has actually taken that into itself and is trying to use that to critique the church, using the tools and the lens of the church to critique the church, but this is a Christian ideal. Brothers and sisters, we look at men and women in the world and we don't see their flaws and brokenness, we see them as the beloved of the Father. Only after Jesus is that a universal concept, even remotely, before it's the power gets what they want. We have to be different. You see, the world is a conformity machine. Each one of us comes into adulthood and early life with our faith in Christ having already received some form of spiritual formation. We have been shaped and patterned and live in certain default modes of ways of countering and responding to the world. And this is why transformation is necessary, because it won't happen on our own. But if we don't learn to notice we will continue to be conformed to the world even if we don't want to be. Because when we live under our natural powers apart from God, we take our Christian lives, we receive salvation, we receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, but we forget him as teacher, right? And in doing so, we walk into the world and say, thanks God, I got this, I'm gonna order my life under what I think is good. I'm gonna discern what is right and wrong. And this is what renewal has to begin with. Because we each come into this world, this loving union of parents and child, and yet somehow they become, they become broken, right? What psychologists call attachment. It's the first way. And remember, when Paul talks about the renewal of the mind, he doesn't just mean your rational thoughts for For the Christian mindset in this era, it means both feelings and thoughts. And this is wise because as we explore more and more in neuroscience, we see that there is no thought without an emotion attached to it. They become filtered together. They separate and otherwise, right? He's not a dualist. He's not splitting mind and body or spirit and body. That's not what Paul is. The Jewish mindset is you are a soul, whole and integrated. That soul consists of a mind, a capacity to think and to feel but a body that engages in the world as a soul entering into the kingdom, right? Whatever kingdom it is. You can live in the kingdom of God. You can live in the kingdom of the world. But our bodies enable us to be able to do that. And then we have a will, or is what the Old Testament calls, the heart, the spirit, or the will. Those are the same things. The heart isn't the seed of feelings in, in the Jewish mind. The feelings are up here. The heart, the will, and the spirit depending on how it's used, this is our capacity to make choice. This is really the center of who we are. The center of all the decisions we've made and the way that we've lived joined together in a capacity to be present to the world. Then that gets instantiated in your body. So we begin with the mind because until we have thought the thoughts that we want to think, we cannot change our behavior. We cannot find renewal. And there are all sorts of things in us that we don't even know that we know. Does that make sense? There are things that we know, right? I know that that sign is red and that you guys are all here, or at least I think. I'm not a Cartesian, so I'm not thinking I have a demon in my head like Descartes thought. I know that I'm in a school. These are things that I know that I think, But then there are a whole bunch of things that I don't even know that I know because there's so much about the way that I see the world. And these are assumptions I make about everything. Is the world safe for me or is it dangerous? Am I loved or am I unlovable? Is God good or is he angry? Do people want me around? Or do they love it when I leave? Will people be there for me when I need them or am I genuinely alone? Most of these things or what we think about ourselves or the world, but they're not beliefs that we would ever write down if you were to ask us. This is what they call implicit knowledge. It goes deeper than our conscious thoughts, and we can't affect those directly. That's the work of the Spirit, but we begin by doing that by setting our minds on the things of God, what is true and what is noble and what is holy and perfect and pleasing to him. That's where we have to begin. Does that make sense? There are some things now that you cannot help but think when the moment arises. And let me just get real real raw for a second. For most men, there is a period of your life, usually it's around adolescence, where you see someone that you're attracted to and your mind goes to all sorts of places that you would never share, never talk about, and never be honest about. And I don't even mean just cultivating lust. I mean your mind is oriented that way because you have been conformed to a world that says you are a person whose appetites are the most important thing. Whatever you feel is the truest thing about you. So think what you want. They're there for your satisfaction. That's the implicit way that we're trained in an overly sexualized culture. There's a, probably decades, and honestly, some people never grow out of that. They never learn how to not think those unholy, unsacred, and un, ungodly thoughts about other people. Does that make sense? So those are thoughts that you can't help but think until you train yourself to stop thinking them. I know that feels like a Dr. Seuss or some kind of like philosophical, but that's how it works. We're so patterned in such a way that we expect the world to function. And friends, living in autopilot makes us most susceptible to being conformed to the patterns of the world. I don't even know what I said. Living unconscious, unknown, living on autopilot makes us most susceptible to being conformed to the patterns of the world. So we begin by noticing. And I'm gonna give you just a few points in a second about that. But it doesn't, I just wanna also name this because it doesn't have to be just sexuality. The first thing I thought of was actually consumerism. We are sold by a story that says, I deserve that, I'm entitled to that. I won't be happy until I have this. Once I have this, I'll be complete. Once this desire is met, I am good. Oh, if only I had their house on my social feed, whatever influencer I'm following if I had that many followers, that experience, that vacation, that spouse, then I'll be happy and we live our lives in consumerism. One of the facets, one of the biggest facets of the patterning of the world that we live in in our time and location is built on the idea that life is about experiencing and accumulating goods. And you are feeling the dull ache of an existential crisis. You just need to pay for a good vacation. That's the answer. Don't reorient your heart. Just go buy that new purse. See that new movie. Eat, that new rest, eat at that new restaurant. Go on that vacation. That will liberate you. And we don't even know that that's how we see the world. And I want to say none of those things are bad. I don't remember what I listed, but most, I don't think any of those things are bad <laughs> in and of themselves, but how we relate to them Sex isn't bad, it's beautiful, it's a gift, it's unbelievable, but how we relate to it and the people associated with it makes it holy and good or dehumanizing, disintegrating, right? So there is what we think about and how we think about what we think about, which is a great sentence that I wrote, can't believe I wrote that actually wrote that, guys. So there is what we think about and how we think about what we think about. Who talks like that? Apparently, I do. <laughs> Alone at 5 a.m. this morning when I was rewriting some of this. But this is why Paul begins with the renewed mind because your capacity of participating in the renewal of your transformational self begins with what you think as possible in your own life and in the world. In the Old Testament, there's no word for the mind as in like, brain and rationality. The word really, yes sir, means imagination. Sometimes it means what you value, where you put your mind. It has to do with what you think is possible in the world. And Paul gets this. If we keep thinking the only possible relationship we can have is an abusive one, a broken one, one where they were treated like trash or for someone else's pleasure, then we will live in that for as long as we can because that's what relationships are, and I feel lonely. But if we have a different vision for it, if we are liberated into the kingdom in a way that says, you're worth more than that, you're capable of more than that, it becomes an option. As humans, we're limited by the models that we see, and by what we think is possible. This is why Paul says in Romans 8, "For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit, for the mindset on the flesh is death, but a mindset set on the spirit is peace and life. For a mindset on flesh is hostile towards God because it does not subject itself to the law of God. It's not even able to do so because it's been so conformed. And anyone who is in the flesh. Cannot please God. This isn't about God making God happy. This is about living out of his good intention. This is about knowing that under anyone else's ordering, life goes to hell real fast. And you might be in the early stages of it, like I said earlier, but just give it time. Everyone in this room could talk about some pain or trauma. They know what it's like. So then, if the spirit liberates us, as Paul says here, however, you not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit God dwells in you, how do we participate? Well, here are just some very simple things. Beginning with number one, we put before our minds the things of God and his kingdom. This is that Philippians passage. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Part of the usefulness of scripture for our formation is that it orients us to God and his kingdom and trains us to live out of that space. But don't get me wrong. I know people who have whole books memorized and don't look like Jesus. So there is a difference because I'm gonna challenge our church to start memorizing scripture but I'm gonna say that and say I know that that alone will not transform you but if you approach the memorization of scripture for the purposes of transformation and renewal then you approach the how in a different way so that when the what comes it becomes useful I'll tell you right now The Psalms that I have memorized that I wake up to in the morning, the Lord's Prayer, Corinthians 13, there are some some texts that have become so much a part of my way of thinking. And again, I'm not perfect at this. I'm not saying this. But at one point, it might be profanity that emerged from me. But over time, somehow blessing has emerged. And if we look at what this looks like, if we look at what it's possible, how do you think Jesus, we talked about this on Friday night, how do you think Jesus was nailed to a cross and the first thing that comes out of his mouth is forgiveness and blessing to his murderers? Wow. That doesn't happen through grit teeth. That happens for 33 years He soaked in the words of scripture and he soaked in the presence of his father to become so confident of who he was in his identity that he couldn't help but bathe the world in everyone's belovedness. Now I don't see you as the collection of quirks and pains and traumas and gifts and joys. Yes, I see all those things, but I see through the lens of your belovedness. How do I do that? Love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. I let those words become the narrative of my day. So instead of just the podcast, which I love podcasts, just the book, I meditate and chew on those words so that in my going and coming up, I set them in my heart through putting them in my mind. And like that song at the beginning of this morning, it becomes a part of who I am. I love you, Lord and I lift my voice. That doesn't happen easily, but it can happen, and it will shape us. Does that make sense? Just very practical, when you put a long section of scripture, a psalm, or a chapter, you do so through repetition, concentration, and understanding. I've memorized pieces or books or chapters, not books, chapters before but when I didn't understand them, they meant nothing to me. And as I soaked in them, I understood them more and they became more and more a part of who I was. And I know that sounds like such a religious answer. Hey, just memorize the Bible. That's not what I mean, but I also it's what I mean. (laughs) These are Jesus' disciples. When he asked them, of the 70 and 120, they were scattered and Jesus' disciples were leaving. And Jesus turns to his closest 12 and says, you too, friends? Will you leave me as well? And Peter's words to him, where could we go? You have the words of life. I think we think the Bible is a word of life, maybe, but not the words of God's people indwelt by the Holy Spirit and given to us to orient our lives around God and his kingdom. The beautiful thing about this is that choosing the way, this way of of mind, this way of thinking over time begins to eliminate options that go against God's will and God's way. What I mean by that is, have you ever met someone who has gone through this journey where they're so sweet they even don't understand innuendo, right? I mean, think about the office. That's what she said was the stupidest, most common joke for like 10 years of life. (laughs) You were shaped in such a way where every little comment became a, "Ah, that's what she said, right? You saw every conversation as an opportunity to turn it into some sexualized thing. Have you ever met someone who's gone through that where they're not naive? Because maybe kids don't get that. Great, I hope so. I hope my kids don't get that. But at one point they knew that, but they've so been transformed and soaked in God and his goodness that they feel naive again. But they've passed through the innuendo to get back to like a holy naivety because their mind doesn't even imagine thinking of that moment as sexual or thinking of that person as mean. So blessing is the only thing that comes out of them. Curse, how could you imagine cursing someone? That makes sense? Yeah. Those people, they are the salt of the earth. And I have a mind that makes connections at high levels all the time. So innuendo has been a part of it since far too long. And I've been convicted of that. Why is it that your words, Lord, don't come to me first? Hmm. Again, that's, there's no condemnation. So, Paul says right before this, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. There's no condemnation anymore. But those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. So, you cannot be under condemnation, but then choose to live according to the flesh. And we say no more. All right, so a few more points. I know, guys, thank you for letting me ramble. Um, setting our minds on God and his kingdom, dwelling upon those things. Number two, um, silence and stillness. We need this as a practice of slow and steady meditation because the world is loud and the spirit likes to whisper. Mike Pilavachi, uh, who's someone who's been a, an influence in my life, has he's always said that you shout at someone when you want them to go away but you whisper when you want someone to come close. This is why the spirit whispers. But when we're inundated by more podcasts and movies, by we're inundated by more 24-hour news cycle, who is going to be louder? So we need to stop, so silence and solitude is one thing, that's one helpful practice, but we need, if we're putting more of God and his kingdom in our minds daily, right? Frank Laubach calls this the game of minutes. Can I spend my whole day consciously choosing to be aware of God? If you ever want a phenomenal book of a missionary in the Philippines, Game with Minutes, it's hard to find, but it's a beautiful book of how this man trains his mind to dwell upon God just beneath the surface of everything. Have any of you come out of a time of really sweet prayer and the first thing you've done is just like, I don't know, lusted or like, when you bathe the moment in God's goodness, it's hard to go back to that way. Well we do that every day and every minute, then all of a sudden those opportunities become less and less likely and our mind slowly begins to renew. So we, we put on God and his kingdom in our thoughts and our thinking and our way of being, and we take off the things that are no longer bringing us life. And this is difficult because I start sounding like a fundamentalist or a Pharisee when I say this, but some things are not okay for the followers of Jesus to think about. And I'm not saying let's ban books. I'm saying there are some shows which you should not be watching And we have all the excuse, because we live in the freedom. Oh, there's no condemnation. Let's live, I'm being facetious here, so I hope you see that. There's no condemnation. Oh, I can just, you know what? Yeah, I just, yeah, like, it's absolutely possible for you to have a drink or two. But six? Oh, it's absolutely possible for you to watch a show, but Game of Thrones? The Boys? Gosh, I tried to watch one episode of The Boys. Don't watch it. Please do not watch it. (laughs) I was like, cool, like superhero, dark superhero. I was like, what? What is this show? Oh my gosh, what have they done? There are some shows that we cannot watch. Some conversations that we have to not be a part of. And it will cost you. Paul's not naive. This way of life doesn't feel good all the time because it might mean exclusion. It might mean you look like a pariah. Might mean people call you a fundamentalist. Let your witness and the fruit of your life speak far louder than any argument you have to make, Mm -hmm. right? The church has lost her witness in a lot of ways. And until we have regained it, we should learn to shut our mouths. So let's be slow to speak. Let's put on the right things and take off the wrong things. And I also think this is about ratios. What I mean by that is there's a good uh, um, John Wesley, when he went to college, his mom, Susanna, who's an incredible writer or incredible woman and teacher. She had this amazing mind for teaching her kids. She told her son, John Wesley, the the father of the Methodist movement, spend only as much time in leisure as you do in devotion. That was her advice to her son going to college. What What a gift. What a reality change. What if you just did that for a week? I'm only gonna spend this much time listening to podcasts or music or TV shows that I do in prayer or in scripture. How would your life change? How would your mind shift towards your coworkers or to your spouse or to your annoying friends? And yes, we, have, we all have annoying friends. Sometimes we are them. All right, I know that I'm going late, but I just want these things are super helpful. And then finally, I just, um, well, two more things. Fourthly, we cultivate the capacity for awareness. Most of us live asleep to our own lives. Our patterns are ingrained, and we cannot change what we're not aware of. R.D. Lang says, the range of what we think and do is limited by what we fail to notice. So we have to cultivate a habit of noticing. And this is my little working, I'm trying to work on this, like, because once we notice, then we have choice. And once we can choose, then we can take responsibility. And once we have responsibility, we have real power. The world wants us to fail to notice what we think of and where we're going because it wants us to be powerless. But if we begin by noticing, and that means, you know, the, the classic definition of mindfulness is learning to be present to the to your current moment without wishing it were otherwise. Which that's a, I mean, you can have an issue with mindfulness, but I just replaced the word prayerfulness. Because for me, it's like, why can I not have an issue with my current moment? Because I've come to trust that the Father, that God is a good shepherd and the world is perfectly safe for me to be in it. If that's my orientation to the world, then I can learn to be present to any given moment, regardless of pain or circumstance. And not wish it was otherwise because God's in it with me. So we have to create habits of mind that give us noticing. Now, at first, this is really hard, but mindful awareness is essential. And I don't mean mindful meditation, I mean mindful awareness means that we can learn to be present and slow down enough to know what we, th- what we think, what we're thinking, and how we're thinking in any given moment. I used to have this thing go off before important meetings at Vanguard when I worked uh, on staff at Vanguard. I'd always have these really stressful meetings twice a week And I put this little thing before me uh, and it was like the 10 minutes before that meeting every week or those two meetings. And it just said, you do not have to go into this meeting under the burden of having to get your own way. Under the longing of having to prove who you are or your identity. That was the notice that came up to me every time. Do you think I went into that meeting differently? Do you think my... Breathing slowed, and when I felt the world, the, the room tense, I centered in and said, Lord, what are you doing? And then I was aware, Lord, what's in my body? Why do you feel wow? You feel really tense right now. Okay. And over time, with practice and patience, that stiffening didn't happen anymore. I mean, it happens still, but that little practice of being aware. Let me just say, if you meet if every person you meet, you do so with the present awareness of God, you will treat them differently. Yeah. You will not see them as annoying or as body parts or as something to sexualize or objectify. You will see them as the beloved of the Father. All right, and now the kids', the kids ministry is going to kill me. Last thing. One of the easiest ways to create this is to create loving and trusting and godly friendships people who can care with you and carry your brokenness with you. Because here's the thing, if we don't know what we don't know, someone's gotta tell us. And that will be the Spirit, absolutely. You spend time in prayer, the Spirit will constantly bring to mind. And if you can learn to trust Him enough to bring those thoughts, that might be something you don't wanna talk about. He can do something powerful with them. But also your friends very often know things about you that you do not know about yourself. And usually it's really painful when we have those conversations because it's, you're late again, you didn't deliver this, you didn't come when you said you would. It's usually some moment of tension. So create friendships where you've created and cultivated a sense of trust where you say, hey, I want you, not out of anger or spite, and maybe even set some ground rules up, but I want to know the things that I don't know about myself. And those are a few relationships. That's not your community group. That's not a house church. That's not a remnant group. That's one or two or three people, maybe a spouse or a partner or a best friend. But have that conversation and be open to it because the best means of transformation in my experience is when my world hits suffering and I have to rethink what I've been thinking or when I'm confronted the reality of who I am and I didn't know it. And someone has lovingly brought that before me, that feedback, that painful conversation which brings life. We have to be good at painful and hard conversations with humility and kindness. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.